Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Thanks, Andre. Yeah, in the last um, few weeks, we've been talking a lot about prayer, and God has really laid on our hearts um, that we are, as His church, a house of prayer, and and we should really take that seriously. And um, I think he's, he's even calling us deeper into prayer. But one of the challenges that we face is that it's, it's kind of easy to get discouraged in your praying. It's kind of easy, if you're not careful, to lose heart and, and not pray as you should or sort of give up praying. And I just want to talk a little bit about that um, this morning. Uh, we said, I said last time that, that prayer is, um, according to Timothy Keller, prayer is the continuation of a conversation started by God. So prayer is talking to God. Prayer is communing with God. Prayer is speaking to God. Uh, it's relating with God. That's, that's the main aspect of, of what prayer is. Uh, and and, and it's, it's not a conversation that we start. You know, by the time we cry out to God, there's been a long conversation going on. God revealing Himself to us, speaking to us through Scripture, speaking to us in all kinds of different ways, and we're responding to who God, what God has been saying to us. But obviously, our response depends on what we're hearing from God. And if we hear the wrong thing from God or misunderstand who God is, then we're also going to respond incorrectly. Um, so, in I'm not going to uh, preach on this, but I just want to sort of use this as an intro. In, in Luke 18, verse 1, there's a short parable that Jesus tells of a widow who asks for justice from an un, unjust judge. And it says in the beginning, in, in verse 1, Luke 18, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up, that they should always pray and not lose heart. And the reason why Jesus addresses this is that when you pray, it is easy to lose heart if you're not careful. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at that, but I want to, um, Steph, are you here? Steph, you can just come forward. Steph, uh, Stefan Gerber is in our um, small group, and um, yeah, they, they've had a, um, as a family, had a, a tough couple of weeks where his, his dad was ill and eventually passed away. Um, but he gave such an amazing testimony uh, in our small group that I just asked him if he can maybe come and share it with us um, because it really encourages us in the small group, and I think it will encourage you as well. So thank you, Steph. Cool. Morning, church. Um, as Henny mentioned, the last few weeks have been a whirlwind um, for us. It's been a whirlwind of doctor's visits, hospital visits, um, yeah, and just praying. It all kind of came to a head last Sunday uh, when my father passed away. And as, I suppose, after the fact, if you can call it, as the dust settles, um, I was thinking uh, just about his life and, and how we had gotten to, to this point. And a story almost 20 years in the making just came into focus. And I started connecting dots that I hadn't connected before. And so my father was always a, 
someone who prized the intellect. He was very intellectual. He loved uh, intellectual answers and, and, and figuring things out. And we also have come to realize, uh, my wife and I, that I don't want to dishonor his memory. Um, he, he, he was also haunted by, by shame um, and rejection to, to a degree. So, you know, this, I think all of this combined to make him quite uh, unreceptive to the gospel. So when I got saved at university, I tried to, to convince him <laughs> of the truth. And I probably did it in a very obnoxious, no, I did do it in a very obnoxious way. Um, and it's, it hurt him. It hurt our relationship. And, I mean, this is a man who, who hardly ever um, had an issue with or, or criticized me. And, and I still remember him saying, if you talk to me this way, I can't talk to you. And, and he also said, well, you know, that's your truth to believe. I just can't. You know, and that was quite a, quite a shocker for me. Um, so shortly after, I, I, I remember I was on... I was, I was praying to God. I still remember it was quite a funny picture. I mean, I'm, I'm standing on Fishhook Beach, the wind howling as it does at night. And I'm just saying to God, how, how, can, how can you save him? Um, how can you save someone who's so resistant to, to something which doesn't fit into worldly wisdom? And... I don't claim to hear the voice of God very often, I, but I still remember I got this distinct impression that was, that was so real, and I, it's as if I heard in me like the, the, the words, I, I will fight for his heart. And it was such a convincing moment that I, I, I basically just said, okay, well, you know, I stopped praying and I, I, I went home. Um, and then... Now, this was about 20 years ago. So, and then, you know, over 20 years, I couldn't see anything change in his heart. I could, I could see a lot of circumstances change. Um, but it's like his receptiveness never, never changed. And now, thinking back to how, um, I suppose, of... After this was, I can't remember this exact sequence, but you know, roughly the time that 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 I thought I heard God say, "I'm going to fight for His heart." Um, a lot had to change on the outside. My father was quite wealthy; he lost everything. Um, this forced him to to, oh, and and then he fell and broke his hip, and his mobility was was impaired you know, for the rest of his life. Um, he had to move in with my mother. They had separated earlier. He had to move in with my mother to look after her while she fought leukemia for three years. Um, he also had to, well, and during that, that, that time, it, it's, now I think about it, is he got to see her faith community rally around her. Um, and still, we couldn't see anything change. And it was very disheartening. And sometimes you pray with fervency, and then sometimes you lose kind of 
focus and you do other things and then you then, then you pray again but you're always wondering like god what what on earth how how and then with um then quite recently he had to he he started getting um peripheral artery disease which is just a, a narrowing of the arteries which then leads to um impaired mobility you you struggle to walk and then it eventually becomes so sore even when you're lying in bed you it it it's actually quite sore and um we we flew him up from from Cape Town just to try and see what we can do medically. We we tried to arrange some medical care for him, and this led to him um, being admitted into hospital, and he had to go through angioplasty, and then uh, had to do invasive surgery, and and through all of this, is um, yeah, it, it, I, I still wondered what what's the end here, then. Um, after the first surgery, it became obvious that the surgery had failed, and, and I had to watch him. I've never seen someone writhe in pain, like rolling on the floor. And he had to, he had to go through that. And then when he got admitted to hospital the second time, um, the, he developed delirium, which is... I mean, to put it bluntly, it's, it, it's like someone becoming crazy temporarily. They suffer from hallucinations. They, they become, they, they, they detach from reality. He was convinced there was a drug ring in the hospital. He was convinced that a wedding had taken place. He told me about meetings he had that morning, and yet he, he just had to, he was just lying there. Um, and it was during this time that it dawned on me that the probability of him um, not making out of hospital alive is actually quite real. And, you know, that, that shook me. Um, you start thinking, well, you see, there you go. You, you made it up. God didn't really say, say that. It was just an impression or it was what, what you wanted to believe. And it, it was at that time that um, with the small group, our prayer was healing would be nice, but I just actually wanted to, to get one more chance. Sorry. <laughs> just one more chance to, to hear the gospel, to be able to respond. And it was, yeah, it was through that that um, in his last week, uh, my wife and I visited him. And, yeah, that was last Saturday, and he, the delirium had gone on for about two weeks. It, it, I actually felt like I hadn't seen, or I, I wasn't going to see the real fa- my real father again. I was going to see this crazy person restrained to a bed. And, um, yeah, it was the last Saturday, after all this prayer, I got this moment of, of, of clarity with him, and... My wife was there as well, and we could, I could say to him, you know, what, what oh, he, he still said to me, I'm, I'm not making it out of your life. And um, <clears throat> so I rehearsed this without joking up, so <laughs> give me a moment. Um, yeah, and then uh, he said to me, I'm not making it out of your life. And I said, so I could ask him, well, what's going to happen on the other side of death? Are you prepared? And he just looked at me, he's, 
and I could, I could preach to him. I could share. I could say to him, at the other side of death, there's a judgment. We have to give an account. And none of us make the cut. And the punishment is such that we cannot bear it. And that's why Jesus had to... That's, that's why Jesus had to hang on a cross. He had to take a punishment. He who didn't have to pay a punishment paid a punishment. And he invites all of us to come in. And anyone who's in him can say to the judge at the other side of death that I'm guilty but my price has been paid. And I started praying for him and he just... Um, I heard him mumbling. He, he couldn't speak very clearly. Um, and as I stopped praying, I, I looked at him, and he, he was praying. And I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I heard one, one phrase. I believe in you. And, um, yeah, that was, it was almost too good to be true. <laughs> Yet again, I was like, ah, you, I don't know, are you imagining this? And then last Sunday, his last day, um, it was also quite clear, and I could speak to him, and he was very practical, like, this is my pin code, this is this, this is that, and, you know, there's a document hidden in the second drawer type of thing, and um, he, he said to me repeatedly, don't, don't go, and I stayed as long as I could. Eventually, the nurses said, you really have to go, and I said to him, um, even if I go, God's with you. And he's just not. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'll be quick. I'll be quick. Um, then I said to him, just remember, all you do is just call Jesus. As you approach death. And he said, I know. So, yeah, I mean, that to me was just a story, like I said, 20 years in the making. And it's just, yeah, it speaks to God's faithfulness, his ability to save. His, I mean, <laughs> there's a long list of superlatives I can fill in, but it's, it just speaks to the character of God. What an amazing testimony, eh? Of just God's faithfulness. And um, <clears throat> you'll, you'll see as I start sharing why I, I wanted Steph to, to share that testimony. Um, you see, there, there's, there's this, in, in Scripture, there, there's tw this city or little town actually in Israel that's mentioned twice in Scripture. It's called Dothan. <clears throat> and one time that it was mentioned both times, uh, something significant happens there, and um, prayer happens. The one time I think we can assume the prayer, the other one is it's clearly stated. But I just want to share those two um, incidents with you, because when we're in trouble, because in both these cases there's trouble and, and, and then there's prayer, when we're in trouble and we pray, there are two possible outcomes. The one is that God immediately answers our prayer. The other one 
is that God does not immediately answer our prayer, or He does. Let me, let me rather put it this way. The one is that God immediately answers our prayer in the way we expect Him to. That's the one outcome. The other outcome is that God does not immediately answer our prayer and or He doesn't do it in the way that we expect it. He does it in an unexpected way. Okay? But what I want you to see is that God always answers our prayer. He either answers in the way we expect or He answers it in the way that we don't expect. Now, Steph, when he prayed on the beach 20 years ago and, and said, God, <laughs> you know, please save my dad. I don't know how you can do it. He's so hard. He's so resistant. I, I don't know how you can do it. Um, I don't know what he expected, but I don't think he expected this 20-year journey in which God fought for his dad's heart and allowed his dad to go through some tough things in order to humble him and soften his heart and prepare him to be able to put his trust in him. So let's just look at those stories. I'm going to try and share not, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to not share too much around it, but I just want you to see these two instances and what we can learn from it. Um, the first one is in 2 Kings 6 from verse 9. It says, The man of God, that's, that was Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. So, so you know, the, the Arameans were sort of raiding Israel and sort of in war with Israel, and um, they were trying to ambush the king of Israel to kill him, you know, so they can take over the... Uh, the country. And, and time and again, Elisha would warn the king and say, you know, beware when you get to this place because there's an ambush there. Uh, verse 11 says, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his, his officers and demanded from them, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? <laughs> None of us, my lord, the king, said one of the officers. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in the bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha answered, Open his eyes, Lord. Sorry, Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha asked. And you, know, you, can, you can go and read the rest of the story for yourself. Interesting story. But... What I want you to see here is God's people, Elisha, his servant, and so on, um, this, the city of Dothan, they're in trouble because they have this massive army, Aramean army, surrounding them. They want to at least capture Elisha. You know, probably a few people, quite a few people will get killed in the process. And 
His servant is very nervous and, you know, understandably upset. Oh no, you know, what are we going to do? We're surrounded. There's no escape. And Elisha is rustig. He's relaxed. He's calm. And, and he says to, 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 um, to the servant, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prays, Lord, open the servant's eyes. Open my servant's eyes so he can see. And the Lord opens his eyes and he does see. And what he sees astounds him. That <laughs> it looks like they're surrounded and outnumbered, but actually it's the enemy that's outnumbered. Now, I, I just want to mention this in a sense as an aside. I think that's a good prayer to pray. Lord, open our eyes to see. Because, number one, I think we as modern people, are less likely uh, to see the spiritual realities around us than we should be. We often are so, you know, we stare ourselves blind against the physical, natural, material realities that are very real, but we, we do it to such an extent that we miss the spiritual realities that are, that are also real and, and, and the fact that those who are with us are more than those who are against us. You know, and our eyes, like the eyes of, of Elisha's servant, often need to be opened to the spiritual realities. And we need to see that actually, even when it looks like we're outnumbered, it's our enemies that are outnumbered. And this is important. I, I, wanna, I feel that the Holy Spirit wants to encourage someone here with the reality that if God is on your side, you always outnumber your enemy. If God is on your side, your enemies are always outnumbered. If God is on your side, it doesn't matter whether it's just you and God. You are an overwhelming force. Because it doesn't matter how many enemies there are. If God is on your side, there are too few of them. <laughs> okay? So, but notice that Elisha prays and immediately he says, Lord, open his eyes. And immediately his eyes are opened and he sees. And then he says, Lord, close their eyes. <laughs> and immediately their eyes are closed. <laughs> and they don't see. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I've been sort of following this uh, now a year and there, the you know, sort of highlights of, of the war in Ukraine where Russia has, has been invading Ukraine, uh, trying to conquer Ukraine and, and subjugate Ukraine. And um, it, it's been amazing for me to see how important surveillance is. How important it is to, to, to have some other way, you know, to have air superiority so that you can know where your enemy is, but your enemy cannot know where you, you are, you know. And, and it's, you know, some things don't change, you know. It's, it, it was the same there, you know. Uh, you, you want to be able to see your enemies, and, and you don't want your enemies to be able to see you. <laughs> but God can do that spiritually for us. He can, he can cause us to see our enemies and cause our enemies to be blind and not to be able to see us. Um. But, but here is Elisha. He prays, and immediately he gets the answer he expects. It's a very obvious, very straightforward answer to prayer, and he gets exactly what he asks for. But now if we go to the other event that happens in, in Dothan, and this involves Joseph and his brothers. Um, now Joseph, um, I mean, very complicated family history. You talk about blended families. I mean, Joseph... And, you know, Jacob had a, I mean, he had four wives, you know, or actually two wives, and, and each of them had a concubine. And, you know, children, 12, 12 sons all in all. 
Um, and, and he loved the one wife, uh, Rachel, more than, than the others. So he, um, and, and she was barren. She didn't have any children. But then when she eventually did have a child, Joseph, you know, he was the favorite. And, and um, well, I mean, you can also see a difference between Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's brothers were kind of hard and, and you know, resistant. But, but he definitely got preferential treatment. He got this multicolored, you know, fancy cloak to wear, uh, and his father didn't make him do the hard manual labor in the, in the field. You know, he got more education, all that kind of stuff. So he got serious preferential treatment. And then, you know, to add insult, serious insult to injury, he has these dreams about, um, you know, his, his, his ten brothers at that stage, you know, each of them having a, a sort of a bale of... Um, wheat or something, and, and their bales of wheat are bound down to his. And then the next time, he has a dream about the sun, moon, and, tw- uh, and, 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 and stars, you know, bowing down to, to him, basically to his star. And, and, and they were like, oh, so now you want to lord it over us. Now we're going to bow down to you. Now even our father and mother, you know, the sun and moon, you know, are going to bow down to you. you know, every, everyone's going to bow down to you, you know, Lord Joseph, you know. So that's the background. So, so his brothers are out in the field taking care of the flocks, um, you know, doing the hard manual labor, you know, under the stars and so on. Um, Joseph's at home, you know, getting his preferential treatment and so on. But now the father, Jacob, wants to know where the brothers are. So he sends Joseph out to go and look for them. And he's looking for them, and um, he asks in, in, this is in Genesis 37 from verse 16, he's, uh, Joseph replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing the flocks? Because he found a guy sort of in the area where he expected them to be. In verse 17, it goes on. They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So there's the same Dothan that we later meet with Elisha. So Joseph went, around, uh, went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in, in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, Come, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of uh, these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Because they were obviously prophetic dreams, you know. Then verse 21 goes on. When Reuben heard this, He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern or pit um, here in the wilderness, uh, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern or into the pit. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they, were, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother and our flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. 
And then we know the story of how they sell him to, to the Ishmaelites, slavers, and how they take him to e uh, Egypt, and how he gets sold as a slave on the marketplace to Potiphar. Um, and the Lord is with him, you know, and, and he works in Potiphar's house, and he, and he eventually ends up managing the whole household. But he's young and handsome, and Potiphar's wife sort of takes a liking in him. And, um, you know, she tries to make a move on him, you know, to seduce him. And he says no, and then she accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison, and he spends a few years in prison. Uh, and there he meets the baker and the, the cupbearer of the king, who had fallen into disfavor with the king, and he interprets their dreams. Um, and, he, and he sort of says that the one, the baker, will, will be executed, but the, the cupbearer will be restored, and he must please remember Joseph when he does. And, and it happens exactly like he says. The baker gets executed, the cupbearer gets restored, but he forgets Joseph, and Joseph spends another two years in prison. So it was, it was a many years that he spent in prison, um, probably a few decades, all in all, that he was either a slave uh, in Potiphar's house or in prison. Um, and... You can just imagine Joseph, he got these prophetic dreams from God about, you know, amazing things that's going to happen and people that are going to bow down to him, his own family even that's going to bow down to him. And then he comes to his brothers and they're jealous of him. They're angry with him. I'm sure he was, maybe he was a little obnoxious in the way he shared his dreams and so on. But they throw him into the pit. And you can just imagine that Joseph must have prayed there in the pit. Just imagine what he, what he said to God. Just imagine what he asked for. He says, God, please save my life. They want to kill me. God, what about the dreams? You know, weren't they, didn't they imply promises that, that, some, that you're going to use my life in some other way? Now they want to kill me. God obviously organized for, you know, even using his brother's own evil intentions. Uh, you know, we'll gain nothing if we kill him. Let's sell him. At least then we make money. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't with noble intentions or out of noble motivations that they decided to spare his life. It was out of selfish greed. But God even used that to save his life. They didn't kill him. And then they sold him as a slave. And just imagine what Joseph was praying to God on the road, you know, as he was being dragged behind a camel or something on the way to Egypt through the desert. God, I thought people were going to bow down to me. Now I'm a slave, and I'm going to bow down to people. What, what's going on? Where are the promises? Where are the, where's the fulfillment? God, aren't you listening to my prayer? I want you to save me. Crick, crick, crick. <laughs> what he didn't realize, and what he only realized later on, that God was busy saving. Firstly, God did save him. Of course, his brothers did want to kill him. God saved his life. But God wasn't only saving him through what he did. God was also saving his brothers and millions of other people who surrounded the, the Egypt area because of the seven-year drought that was coming. That he, and the famine that he didn't know about. Um, and why I mention all of this is that when God answers our prayers in the, immediately in the way we expect, it encourages our faith. And we think, oh, you know, I pray and God answers. And we've all experienced that. You know, if you've been a Christian and you've, that, that, that prays and you've been walking with God for a while, then you would have experienced that God sometimes answers your prayers in exactly the way you expect, <laughs> exactly when you need Him to immediately. When you ask for it, boom, it happens. 
Okay, we've, we've probably all experienced that if, um, to some extent. But then there are also times when God doesn't, when we experience like Joseph, you know. And our experience is not like Elisha, we pray and it happens, but our experience is like Joseph, we cry out. Or like, like Steph cried out for his father, you know, on that beach. And there was an answer, but for seemingly 20 years, it seemed like nothing happens. And it's easy when that happens, when, when either God doesn't immediately answer your prayer or when he doesn't answer it in the way you expect. It's easy to become discouraged and to think, but why am I even praying? You know, does God even hear my prayers? Does he answer my prayers? And there's a thing called um, learned helplessness. I just want, want to put up a, um, a slide on the screen. A guy, in the, this was in the 1960s when animal cruelty wasn't, you know, the laws around it wasn't so, such a big deal uh, as it is today. And, and, you know, some of the scientists were a bit more unethical in terms of how they treated animals. So there was this German scientist, I can't even remember his name, Salgerman or something like that. He did this experiment. So he had three groups of dogs. Group one, uh, you know, he built this, this container where, he, where the floor would shock them. And then there was this button on the wall. And if they walked to the, as, as they were being shocked, uh, you know, if they walked to the wall and, and pressed the button, a door would open and they would be able to escape and they would no longer experience the shocks. That was group one. Um, so he'll take different dogs and then, you know, do this to them. And then group two, he also had a, a group of different dogs. He'd shock them, and then when they walked and pressed the button, the door didn't open, and the shocks continued. Okay? <laughs> Not a very nice experiment, okay? <laughs> this was in 1965, like I said. Um, and then the third group, they received no shocks, so they were just sort of the control group. But then um, he did a, a second experiment with these same groups of dogs. So group one, what would happen was he built, if you can just go to the next slide, he built a, a container where on the one side it was elect, uh, the, the, the dogs would receive shocks and there was a wall, which was quite high. You could, the dog could jump over it, but it, was, it took some effort. Um, so, so he'd shock uh, the group one dogs. Now, those were the dogs who were shocked, and then when they pressed the button, they escaped and they escaped the shocks. Okay? And what happened was when they got shocked, they, they ran and they jumped over the wall and they escaped. To the, play, to the side of the, the container where, where, where they weren't shocked anymore. The second group, the group who was shocked and then pressed the button and nothing happened, when they were shocked, they did nothing. They didn't try and escape. The third group who wasn't shocked at all, when they were shocked, um, uh, you know, on the one side, they also jumped over and they escaped. And, and, and what they realized was the second group who, they were shocked, but when they tried to do something about it, nothing happened they developed what was called learned helplessness. They developed a state of learned helplessness where they learned, they became convinced they were helpless and it doesn't matter if they do anything because it has no effect, so why even try? And they basically gave up. And, and, and here's my point. If we, you remember what Steph said, he said it took him 20 years to connect the dots to see that even when it looked for 20 years as though God was not working in his father's life, not busy fulfilling the promise that I will fight for his heart. It took him 20 years to connect the dots and see that actually God was. All along, God was working in his father's life and heart. But if, if he had not seen that, he would have been in danger of developing learned helplessness in his prayer life, where 
okay, I pray, I've got promises for God, but it doesn't help standing on them because God doesn't answer my prayers in any case. Now, if we go on in, in Genesis, we see that just like Steph, after a few years, decades, <laughs> connected the dots, Joseph also connected the dots. Because Joseph says in, in Genesis 50, this is right at the end of Genesis, this is after he'd been made prime minister of Egypt and then gathered you know, all the grain and through the wisdom God gave him, um, gathered up a lot of grain in Egypt during the seven years of plenty. And then in the seven years of famine, there was enough grain for, for Egypt and the surrounding territories. And his, his own brothers and his father eventually ended up coming to Egypt. Um, and then eventually his father died and his brothers were nervous and like, oh no, you know, we know how badly we treated Joseph. We know how we sold him as a slave and had no compassion on him and we, we treated him terribly. And now he's in power. He's second in command in all of Egypt. He has the army at his disposal. He can kill us. What if he was just waiting for our father to die and now he's going to kill us to get us back? You know, so, so they say when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left his instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants, of the servants of the God of your father. <laughs> when the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. You intended it for evil, literally. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Can you see that somewhere along the line, in these many years that follow Joseph's you know, sale as a slave and working as a slave for Potiphar and being thrown into prison and spending years in prison. Somewhere along the line, Joseph connected the dots. Maybe, maybe it was only after, you know, he was taken from prison and interpreted Pharaoh's dream and ended up, um, you know, starting to see the fulfillment of the dreams he got. Maybe it was only then. Maybe it was sometime before that. But somewhere along the line, he started connecting the dots and seeing, actually, God was fulfilling his promises to me. Actually, God was hearing my prayers. Actually, God was doing exactly what he promised to do. Actually, God was busy saving all along. If I had not been sold as a slave, I would not have ended up in Egypt. If I had not been sold as a slave, I would not have ended up in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife would not have tried to seduce me. I would have not ended up in prison, and if I had not ended up in prison, I would not have met the cupbearer and the baker there, and I would have not have been able to interpret their dreams, and the, the cupbearer would not have remembered me when Pharaoh had a dream and then had me called to interpret Pharaoh's dream, and I would not have been prime minister of Egypt. All the stuff that I went through was necessary for the fulfillment of God's plan. 
for the fulfillment of God's plan of salvation, not only of me, but of my entire family. Yes, my brothers intended it for evil, but God intended all of it for good, to accomplish a great salvation and to save many lives, not just a few dozen of my family, but millions of people you know, in Egypt and around um, Egypt in the surrounding um, countries. So, you know, I just want to encourage you, you know, when, when we pray, when we pray, it's important for us, number one, to know God's heart and His character. He is faithful. He cannot lie. He cannot change. He cannot break His word. It's against His nature. You know, God, God literally cannot lie. I, I sometimes, you know, I have a bit of a hyperactive imagination, so I sometimes imagine the, the Trinity sitting in heaven and saying, okay, let's play the lying game. You know, let's, let's, let's try and lie. <laughs> Mama Joyce says, coat is red, and as soon as God says it, the coat turns red. <laughs> because God cannot lie. You know, when He speaks, it happens. <laughs> okay, that's just my imagination. <laughs> I don't think that really happens. <laughs> but God literally cannot lie. When God promises something, it happens. God is faithful to His promises, and He's faithful to His people. God always hears your prayers. And when God answers your prayer immediately the way you expect Him to, you must stop and say, thank you, God, for answering my prayer. And build a memorial and say, God, you are faithful. Look at what you have done. You have answered my prayer immediately exactly like I expected it. But when God does not immediately answer your prayer the way you expect it, you must be on the lookout for how God is answering your prayer in an unexpected way. You see, God, I, and I said this last week, and, God, and, and Rochelle said to me, yeah, and you say it so often, I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> you know? God always gives you what you ask for in prayer or something better. God always gives you what you ask for in prayer or what you would have asked for if you knew what he knew. You see, if Joseph knew what God knew, he would have said, God, just protect me as I get sold as a slave and you know, do, what, do whatever you want to because what you want is better than what I want. So when God answers your prayer immediately the way you expect, stop and thank him for it. Build a memorial. Write it in your journal. But when God doesn't immediately answer your prayer in the way you expect, be on the lookout for the something better that he's busy doing. You see, the reason why Steph could connect the dots with his parents, with his, with his dad, was because he was still trusting God, and he knew God. He knew God is faithful. And, and, and he st was still praying. He, he hadn't um, fallen into the trap of learned helplessness. He was still praying and saying, God, it looks like my dad's on the way out. And, and he called us as a small group in. And, and I remember we were sitting there around our table, you know, as we were having a small group and praying and, and saying, God, please just give us one more chance. Just give, us, just give Steph one more opportunity. Just give him an LZ an opportunity just to share the gospel, just to talk. And, and it, it looked impossible at that stage because his dad you know, had delirium. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't speak and he couldn't listen. He couldn't really understand. He, he wasn't completely in his right mind. And yet God answered that prayer. And by the time he'd answered the prayer, his father was ready, his heart was ready to respond to the gospel. And he did. And one day, Steph will have the privilege of seeing his dad in heaven again. And 
Um, so when, when we pray, we, we always receive what we ask for something better. In other words, God always answers our prayers either in expected or in unexpected ways. But he always answers our prayers. And, and the reason why he always answers our, pray, answers our prayers, even though we don't deserve our prayers to always be answered, is because of the gospel, like Steph was explaining in the beginning. In, in Matthew 27, verse 46, we see the one person who deserves all his prayers being answered. We, we see his prayer being ignored. It says in, in, in Matthew 27, verse 46, about the th- three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, my, uh, this is Aramaic, and it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You see, the one who deserved to have his prayers answered was ignored on the cross so that we who don't deserve to have our prayers answered never have to be ignored. So when it seems like your prayers are not being answered, just know that they're not being answered in the way you expect, that they are actually being answered. You know, you, you might be asking for, for sweets and God might be giving you veggies. Okay? <laughs> God's not answering my prayer. There are these heaps of veggies lying around you, but none of the sweets I'm asking for. Now, actually, you're hungry. You're hungry and what you need is not sweets but veggies. <laughs> okay. So let, let's stand. And, and I just want... Here's my... Here's my question to you. Have you lost hope? Have you fallen into despair? Have you started saying, God doesn't hear my prayers and God doesn't answer my prayers? Because you're not connecting the dots, like Steph was saying. You're not seeing God answering your prayers in unexpected ways. You only see when God answers your prayers in expected ways, but you miss it when he answers your prayers in unexpected ways. And, and now you started to lose hope. Have you developed learned helplessness where you no longer pray because you feel like God doesn't hear your prayers and he doesn't answer your prayers? If that's you, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to respond and to, to correct that and to say, God, heal my heart and help me to connect the dots. Help me to see where actually... You were answering my prayers, maybe just not in a way I expected. So I just want you to close your eyes, right there we are. Just close your eyes and just respond to God in prayer. And, and may, maybe there are some important prayers that you have been praying and you feel God has not been answering them. Then just ask him, Lord, help me to connect the dots. Help me to see what you are busy doing. Help me not to stare myself blind against my own expectation. But help me to trust you even before you answer my prayers, help me to trust you that you have my best interest at heart and that you will give me what I ask for or something even better. Now, I just, I just also sense that the Lord is saying that some of you are in a situation where the something better doesn't look better. I mean, just look at what happened to Steph's dad. He, he lost all his wealth. 
um, he lost, it, it separated from his wife. He had to move back in with her eventually, take care of her while she died of leukemia. Eventually he lost his mobility. He ended up in hospital, ended up in delirium. He had a leg amputated. It seemed like he'd lost everything. It, it, it seemed like you can look at that situation and say, Lord, is there any good you can ever bring out of this? And yet, God brought the greatest good out of it. He was saved. Now, while the bad things are happening, you cannot usually see what good God could possibly bring out of it. But think about this. While Jesus was dying on the cross, and, and just after he'd been, he died on the cross and been put into the grave, his disciples probably couldn't see any good that God could possibly bring out of that. And yet, God brought the greatest good out of that. The salvation of all mankind. But they could only see that afterwards, after the resurrection. Are you standing and looking at your situation before the resurrection, before Resurrection Sunday and saying, God, there's no way you can bring any good out of this. My friend... My brother, my sister, you are underestimating God. You are underestimating His love. You are underestimating His wisdom. And you are underestimating His power. He can bring the greatest good out of the greatest tragedy. Out of a situation that it's, where it seems that nothing good can come from it. Your job is just to trust Him and obey Him. Even when you don't understand what's going on. Even when you're in the pit or in Potiphar's house or in prison, trust him and obey him. He will not, never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Keep praying. Don't develop learned helplessness. Don't give up praying because he hears every single one of your prayers. Even the prayers that you forget, he has not forgotten. Jesus gave his life so that God can answer all your prayers and give you what you ask for or something even better. Lord, thank you that you love us so much and thank you that you are so faithful and that you really do hear us when we pray. Help open up our eyes, Lord. We want to, we, we want to pray for ourselves the prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. Lord, open up our eyes to see what you are busy doing. Lord, so often our eyes are closed and we, we miss what you are doing. Our eyes are blind to what you are doing, Lord. Forgive us for that. And please open up our eyes to see what you are busy doing so that we can, so that we can glorify you, see your salvation, and testify of your goodness. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.